All right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. It's now Monday, July 13th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Haven't uh, recorded one of these in a while because there really hasn't been much to talk about in the world of college basketball, but we're in the middle of the July recruiting period now, and uh, I just got back from the Peach Jam Tournament in North Augusta, South Carolina, and Duke just committed a five-star forward, and Syracuse just got a five-star guard, and Memphis just lost its best player, and a bunch of Kansas players coached by Bill Self. I just won an international event while wearing USA jerseys, so I figured this might be a decent time to gather with Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini and talk some hoops, if only because it's 109 degrees in my hometown and thus too hot to go outside. Norlander, Bassini, how are you today? Uh, I'm I'm well. Uh, Got to catch up with you down in Georgia and South Carolina, so that was a good time at the Peach Jam, as always, and... uh, Sam, I guess, is rocking the Vegas lifestyle a little early ahead of us, right? Not yet. I'll be in Vegas starting on Thursday, going to catch some summer league action, see some of these rookies that I've been writing about for the last four months. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know if Parrish or I love anything as much as you love summer league basketball. It's probably not, like, not even close. Like. Pro- I love summer league basketball. You know what? Like, I wrote I, about Jared Famous yesterday. Like I love summer well, league well, basketball. Oh, no, that's your problem. Um, I, I in, in all seriousness, I got home. Uh, I guess it was like late Saturday afternoon and turned on uh, summer league, and 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 I actually enjoy it more than I do say preseason football. And, and the reason is this because. Uh, it's weird. On, on one hand, summer basketball at the NBA level doesn't mean anything. I mean, you can't – just because somebody balls out, it means nothing. Now, if somebody sucks, that might mean something. Like, I remember Hashim to beat sucking in summer league, and I was like, ooh, I wonder – and then, you know, he sucks forever, and so that, that's a problem. Uh, so it's completely meaningless, but it's also – at least in my opinion, it's completely mean. It, it's mostly meaningless, but it's also kind of interesting because – like, you know all the players. Like, in preseason football, I don't know all those guys, right, that are on yeah. a field. But, like, at least in, you know, NBA Summer League, you do, you know all the guys. And you go, oh, wow, I hadn't heard of him in a, in a year. Or, wow, I forgot he was a basketball player. But you at, <laughs> least, you at least know all the names and faces, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I think that there are definitely some things you can gather from it. You're gathering more, like, this guy has a pretty good feel for the game. Like, stats don't matter at all right. in Summer League. Like, if some dude... Like Emmanuel Moutier dropped a 19 and 10 game yesterday for Sacramento, and I'm just like, okay, cool. I'm more impressed with the fact that he was finding shooters like all the way across the floor and uh, doing all these crazy like little behind the back dump off passes. So right. it, it, there are some things you can take from it. Uh, you like to see rookies that are comfortable. They're especially, I think, summer leagues especially important for second year guys because you'd like to see them take the leap uh, just to be more comfortable with their skill sets than maybe they were as rookies. But yeah, you're, I mean, it's it's not a it's not the best brand of basketball. You're playing at a lower level of competition, uh, and a lot of these uh, guards are just out there gunning for their own shots to try and make an impression. Real so, cool. I, I mean, more than anything, I guess it's I guess the, if there was an appealing aspect to it for me, it's that you get to see the guys that were just freshly drafted, and we haven't mm-hmm. talked since the draft. So you get to see Towns and Russell, who went head to head a couple nights ago. And, you know, you get to see lottery picks, at least, with their new clubs and guys who may one day be their teammates. But at least you get to see them, yeah. uh, you know, freshly off the draft, and that's at least 
intriguing. Yeah, I don't want to turn this into an NBA Summer League podcast, but real quickly, <laughs> Sam, just for people who uh, maybe haven't kept um, up with it as closely as you, which basically means everybody in the world, who right. has, um, like, uh, okay, so Jaws played and, and D'Angelo Russell's played, Carl Towns has played. Um, any impressions over the past week from anybody that made you think differently than what you thought maybe on draft night? Have you seen anything that's interesting or anything that's disappointing from any of the high-profile guys? Well, from, from this year, I was pretty disappointed with Okafor in Utah. Uh, it, it seemed like the altitude got to him, and he, he was just struggling to explode. He was struggling to run up and down the floor. He even said that in his postgamer, I guess, uh, after his first game in Vegas. But the guy who I have like totally flipped on uh, is actually a guy in the 2014 class, uh, Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. Aaron Gordon can shoot now. Like, legit shoot off the dribble. So that kind of totally recalibrates his ceiling. If he can be a guy that's just, like, not moving off ball and, you know, attacking and playing defense and doing uh, all kinds of just insanely athletic things with a high motor and great feel for the game. Like, if he can actually shoot the ball off the dribble in an an NBA environment, it's kind of different. Like, his shot mechanics are totally different. So that's the guy that I've been, like, wow. Interesting. Um, I mean, he was one that was drafted a little higher than yeah, uh, I thought maybe should have been, but like, who knows, yeah. right? You look up a year later, and if he's developing skills that he didn't have coming out of college, then like you said, he's a, a, a different player. Meantime, while uh, Summer League is going on, uh, Summer Basketball at the high school level is also going on. Norlander and I were both, like we said, at the Peach Jam. And the big story out of there, I guess, was that um, between the semifinals and finals yesterday, in North Augusta, South Carolina, Jason Tatum, a five-star forward uh, from St. Louis, or at least the St. Louis area, committed uh, to Duke. Um, and it's the first of, of what is presumably going to be um, of the first member of, of what's presumably going to be another uh, ridiculous recruiting class for, <laughs> for Mike Krzyzewski. There's some thought that Harry Giles, who is the consensus number one player in America, uh, will follow him to Duke. There's no uh, timetable for a decision there, but Duke is widely considered the the leader, and Giles and Tatum are, um, I don't know about best friends, but certainly close friends. They were roommates on the U19 team uh, that won a gold medal in uh, Greece. And so this comes on the the hills of Kay and Jeff Capel and John Shire, Nate James, like completely reloading after losing – you know, Okafor, Winslow, <laughs> Jones, and um, uh, Quinn Cook. And and uh, then, of course, you know, the Jones, Okafor, you know, Winslow class was terrific, along with Grayson Allen, I guess. Norlander, what do you, um, what do you attribute this sort of – it's not like Duke ever sucked in recruiting under Mike Krzyzewski in, you know, in, in the past couple of decades, but uh, they did hit a time where they were missing on – I don't know, just off the top of my head, Greg Monroe and John Wall. And now they, Austin Nichols. <laughs> oh, they missed on Austin Nichols. <laughs> I, 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 I'm confident Austin Nichols regrets that uh, K, um, that, that K miss, uh, probably more so than, than Coach K does. Um, but now that, you know, they don't really miss on anybody, or at least it doesn't seem like they miss on anybody. How do you make sense of what's happening right now at Duke? Yeah, they don't really miss on much. And if they do happen to miss on a guy, so to speak, then uh, the next one that picks is just as good, if not better. Um, talked with uh, some recruits and some coaches, and definitely it's, it's gotten to a point now where Duke is perceived as the go-to school as much, if not more so, than Kentucky, um, which is, to me, kind of mind-blowing, to be honest. 
because it's harder to get into Duke <laughs> academically. Obviously, there are, there are challenges there uh, as opposed to and compared to Kentucky. Part of it has been the success of Krzyzewski, and, and winning a title is, is going to certainly be an impact with that. He's been getting guys to the league, not at the rate Cal has. No one can kind of keep up with that pace. That's an outrageous pace that I don't even think we'll ever see again after Calipari leaves Kentucky. Um, but overall, I think what happens here is it's a compound effect. And you've got a lot of high-character guys who have played well and succeeded at Duke in the past three, four, five years who kind of run in similar circles, um, know each other, even if they're not on the same AAU team. I mean, for example... You had the Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones combination. They're just two guys that happened to become really close friends, weren't from the same area. Tyus Jones from Minnesota, Okafor from Chicago. They go to Duke, they win a national title, and now you've got a situation You know, two years later where we've got Jason Tatum picking Duke, and Tatum is a fantastic, you know, his skill set, to me, uh, his skill set um, is similar to... Scott Labissier, who we'll see next year, and that when I watch them at the at the high school level, uh, I already see clearly uh, pro moves and a myriad of them. So um, with Tatum going, and he's really close with Harry Giles, we could have a repeat situation as what we saw with Okafor and Jones. Now, it's not the same positions. It's not a package deal. but And I'll have something up on Giles on the site later this week, but... It, it would be a shock at this point if Harry Giles, the number one player, uh, versatile, lean and mean, power four big man, doesn't end up picking Duke and reload again. And when that happens, by the way, um, Duke will again have the number one overall class. I think Kentucky technically has it right now. Um, but it's been it's been fascinating to see how Duke has become as coveted, if not more so, than, than any school and than it's ever been. I mean, it, it, is, the, it is the place to go. Um, there is some USA basketball impact, I think, on sure. that overall. Yeah. And I also think that Mike Krzyzewski's reputation, to kind of wrap this up, I mean, when the one-and-done era started, Krzyzewski himself has spoken on this many times. He resisted it. Uh, he did not want to have those kind of players uh, for a few different reasons. But in the past half decade, um, as he's seen the quality of players and how basically he needed to get involved in that arms race. He's hopped on board. He's kind of modernized his philosophies with that. And he's made sure that he's had assistants who can recruit and adapt to that. So all of that kind of combos into it. And it makes for, we've talked about this before. I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy how, uh, he is not slowing down and that program is, it's as strong as it's ever been. I mean, it's stronger now than it was when, when they were winning back-to-back titles in the nineties. When you just look at the quality and caliber of recruits they're getting and what's a tougher and more competitive environment. He's 68 years old. And like you said, there is no sign of, of any slowing down. In fact, you could, I, I think reasonably argue that, uh, the Duke program's in as good a shape right now as it's ever been. I, I think there's a, a lot of like, uh, factors there. You know, one is like, you know, Shishetsky is bigger than he's ever been. Like, you know, he is an iconic figure. Like, um, you know, when he walks, like, arguably the most powerful man in basketball, period, right? Like any level, all levels, like you could reasonably argue K is the most powerful guy going. Um, I think bringing Jeff Capel back has helped immensely. I think the emergence of John Shire as like a, 
a legitimate high major assistant has helped tremendously. Like I know Shire uh, was heavily involved in in securing the commitment of uh, Jason Tatum. And then the USA basketball, I know this is sort of a touchy subject. Like uh, there's been some push, you know, back from, you know, the, the Duke perspective uh, that, you know, the advantages that USA basketball might give Mike and Duke ha- have been overstated. And so we could debate, you know, exactly how big of a deal that is, 4K on the recruiting trail. But Sam, like there's no denying it's got to help on some level, right? Oh, yeah, that, that was one of the major things I was going to point out. It does seem like the the youth circuit, and I have no like actual data to back this up, but it seems like the youth circuit is getting a little bit more uh, inclined to playing these international events like the top kids are. Uh, and it, it just helps a lot whenever you have Coach K able to be right there. And he's, he's an omnipotent presence basically within USA basketball. So it's definitely going to help. Uh, I would definitely point to two other things. I would point to the assistance as you alluded to, uh, John Shire has been great from everything that I've heard. And then Jeff Capel has been one of the most tireless recruiters that you'll find on the trail from everything that you hear. He basically has a second high major coach on his staff. Jeff Capel was the coach at Oklahoma was reasonably successful. Like, you know, you could you could say either way whether or not his tenure was great or if it was only okay. Well, like you know, okay, but, so like for just on on the Capel thing, and then and and you know, like he he had a team that was ranked number one in the country. He had Blake Griffin, and then like he just had some, and he was securing recruits at a high level. Yeah. Tiny Gallon, uh, Willie yeah. Warren. But then when Blake left, Willie went crazy. They had some kind of got disastrous. Yeah, it got it yeah. got into a real mess. And then let's not dance around it. Just in the spirit of uh, fairness, um, you know, they had some uh, off the court NCAA issues too with yep. Tiny Gallon. So like all of that added up to probably you know Oklahoma pulled the trigger on him a little earlier than they otherwise would have. But regardless, Jeff Capel, you sure. know Arizona State wanted to hire him this yep. year. Like, he is a high major coach on the staff with Coach K. Uh, And then finally, I think the one thing that does play into this a little bit is the idea that UNC has, you know, kind of fallen off as a recruiting uh, hotspot. You know, just because of everything that's going on there, it kind of kills any competition that they have within their own state. And UNC is a very strong basketball state. I mean, that's how they got Brandon Ingram this year. Uh, like you guys said, Duke is not slowing down. They have four kids coming in. They're in the top 25 of uh, the 2015 class. Probably going to end up with Jason Tatum and Harry Giles, both of whom, like, let's not mistake this, they don't need college basketball. No. Like, no, neither of those two were Josh Jackson would look they out really place don't. in an NBA like, game. That's a passing comment, but I'm telling you, especially Giles, I caught basically every game that he played up until Sunday. Uh, the dude is outrageous. Uh, I mean, he is a sure freaking thing, um, and I I would expect him to have similar similar impact to Okafor when he gets to college. Again, that's a good fifteen months away. But uh, a great kid to speak with, and uh, the, he had a big time knee injury last year, and he seems to have come back even stronger and better from it. Uh, it's it's one of those things where I know that people listening to the podcast generally have not seen him play. So you hear these names, hear these top recruits. You might see a few YouTube videos. And Harry Giles is going to be so freaking awesome at the college level. You're going to instantly realize that college will basically be, in terms of basketball purposes, a general waste of his time because he's NBA ready right now. Yeah, like he he Absolutely. he um 
doesn't even look like the same guy from last summer, right? Uh, for folks Agreed. who don't know, he came on, he like, he had a really bad knee injury. And so when we saw him last July, so I guess that's July, 2014, like he was at Peach Jam and he played, but he was like, he wasn't explosive. He didn't look like, you know, he was, I was like, ugh. Like, you know, you have these sort of, I agree. Yeah. I was like, okay. Like, you know, I, I hope he gets it back. He was, he was good, but he was like sluggish. And I was like, I'm not seeing how this is a top five, 26, 16. That would be, I was like, you know, and then of course you, you have to remember, okay, the knee injury. Right. But like, still, I was, I was just unimpressed. And then you come back this July and he was, he was awesome. He, he you know, and not only awesome, like in North Augusta, like he was awesome with USA basketball. Um, yeah. Like if you were trying to figure out who is going to be the number one pick in the 2017 NBA draft without, you know, without knowing much about what will be available internationally, um, he's probably a pretty reasonable bet, you know, even this far in advance. He's, he's uh, terrific. Elsewhere on the uh, recruiting uh, stage, Tyus Battle, uh, who was previously committed to Michigan, uh, committed to Syracuse um, earlier today. Sam, I know you've got a post on that. Uh, up right now at cbssports.com. Um, how good is he, and how much um, is this related, if at all, um, to the announcement from Syracuse within recent weeks that, yes, Mike Hopkins is going to be the man uh, to replace Jim Beheim in a few years, or is that irrelevant because Battle's not going to be in school uh, that long anyway? Um, well, I think the Battle's not a one-and-done guy. He's a probably two- to three-year player. He's a five-star kid. Uh, good attacker, really good defender. He's going to kill in that zone. Uh, I wish that, honestly, he was going to a different school because he's such a good one-on-one defender that it would be fun to watch him. But he'll kill in that zone. Uh, he's, he's said that getting Mike Hopkins in place was very important. And he wanted uh, a guy, like he wanted to know who the coach was going to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, announcing that Mike Hopkins was the guy definitely made an imprint on him. And I think that was a terrific move by Syracuse. And we said this whenever, like, the sanctions came down, that if Mike Hopkins was their guy, they would be best off to announce it as soon as possible. They did that, and they're reaping rewards already. Uh, Matt, um, the, the, the idea that they go ahead, and I guess we haven't talked on the podcast since um, Syracuse made it official uh, with Mike Hopkins, but I know we did talk about it. Uh, back in March when the sanctions came down and I just sort of, um, I, I don't know, it, it, it threw it out there that, you know, I, I wondered if this would um, hurt Hopkins' uh, chances to, to replace Beheim uh, on a full-time level. And, um, you know, even, you know, the, the university, uh, when asked about it back then, didn't they didn't say, no, absolutely, Mike Hopkins is our guy. They sort of left it open for a while. And I just think any time in college athletics, if you can um, remove uh, question marks um, for, for student athletes or prospects, like that's a good thing. And so um, I, I thought it was wise of Syracuse to go ahead and, and uh, you know, make it official. Mike Hopkins will replace, replace Jim Beheim, And this, I guess, is the first... Um, uh, tangible bit of of evidence that that suggested it had a positive impact, right? Yeah, this is, I mean, pretty huge news for Syracuse overall. Uh, Battle's a solid player. Um, I was a little surprised by his decommitment from Michigan, but we get a few of those every year. Uh, top guy, top you know, four or five star guy, verbally commits and then kind of backs out. It uh, it's pretty big for Syracuse. You know, the Hopkins thing. I've got to believe. 
I mean, you know, I've got to believe they looked into enough of, you know, the past few years and all things related to um, the violations at hand and just felt extremely comfortable given the nature of everything that happened with Bayheim and the criticism the university was receiving to go ahead with Hopkins, which was the plan, but to officially put it out there. I mean, some of it was was certainly to uh, to staunch the bleeding to a certain extent on the recruiting trail, and it was kind of a necessary move. Sure, uh, it did happen a little bit earlier than I was expecting it. Uh, I guess to be honest, even though it, this thing had kind of been dragging out, but entering into the July period, which really is the most crucial time for college programs to be recruiting and and seeing prospects getting on the road to be seen to try and lock up these commitments, because what you'll basically it's a race to try and get guys to commit depending on what graduating the, the year they are either before the official visits um you know heading into the all critical entering the senior season uh like what we have with battle and tatum who didn't really need any more because his list was so low um but i think he's overall i think it's a good choice i don't know if we really know what syracuse can be and what it will be without Bayheim, um especially after you know these scholarships kind of take their run and expire. They can't have three per year. We'll see what that matters. But it's it's the right move sure. overall. And Hopkins was – he was at the Peach Jam, I think, every single day. He might have gone to Under Armour and Charlotte the first day, but he was he was there and he was working it. And, you know, we were just talking Duke. It's a tough climate. ACC is – I mean, it's no joke. You've got Louisville to compete with, obviously. Uh, Carolina is not, you know, an absolute juggernaut and now is kind of sitting in limbo here waiting to see what happens and they're going to pay the price of not really getting the guys that they want to get because of that. But Sure, but like at the moment, they're ranked number one in the country probably. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, It is funny, like we keep talking about like how North Carolina is going through this tough time. No, 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 I'm with you. I I, I know what you mean. We might just wake up in two years and then it's like, and then we see it, like two years from now. Yeah, but I I would say like as soon as they get the penalties, whatever they are, like uh, North Carolina is probably the easiest job in America to rebuild like within – eight months. Like I, I really think like, keep in mind, uh, like Matt Doherty was signing number one recruiting class in the country. Like in, like, uh, I, I, basically anybody who's competent can, can coach North Carolina and secure top five recruiting classes. If you just remove this cloud from the program, you know what I mean? I think that's, I wonder, yeah, the, the easiest to rebuild, you might, that might be it. Uh, um, oh, I think that's definitely it. You think that's definitely of all the programs. So if, if all 351 were basically hit with somewhat debilitating sanctions, Carolina's the easiest. I mean, it's got a super strong alumni base, player base. Nobody's uh, Nobody has ever – now, I know the Dean Smith thing lasted forever, but, like, nobody's ever not killed it there. You know, like, even Dor- like even Doherty was – like, he got Raymond Felton and Sean May and all those dudes that won a national championship. Those were, those were all – That's true. In terms of recruiting, he did kind of rock and, it. And, like, there. I know Kentucky fans are sitting here going, what about us? Like, I know, but that – come on. <laughs> well, like, hey, like, Billy Gillespie wasn't signing five-star recruits at Kentucky, you know? So, yeah. like – And then um, you got the perfect coach at the perfect time. Right. So, like, we have evidence that not anybody can recruit at a high level at Kentucky. Like, Tubby didn't consistently do it toward the end, and Gillespie didn't do it really at all. So we have some proof that that not anybody can recruit at the highest level at Kentucky. There is no proof that anybody can't do it at North Carolina. Everybody's okay, done so, it. So there might be – let's transition real quick here. So there might be a, a serious rebuild needed in about a year in a city and at a program that really is passionate and prides itself. And, yeah, I'm leading right to Memphis here because the Austin Nicholson we should probably hit on because I think 
because of what Memphis has been the past two years, and because, at least from my impression, they're just not on TV as prominently quite as much as they used to be, I actually think Austin and Nichols is the most overlooked, I don't know if I want to say awesome, but overlooked really, really good player in the country. I, th I think people don't even realize his ceiling and how good he can actually be. And so now, I mean, if we want to get into it yeah. entirely, I mean, you could you could freaking wax on this for 20 minutes, but he's leaving <laughs> Memphis. They finally relinquished it. Now it's a matter of where he goes, but do you want to kind of like recap the saga in case anyone's just been kind of out to lunch on this summer and missed what happened? Yeah. Um, you know, before he was injured, uh, suffered a season-ending injury toward the end of last season, like in late February, he was he was playing at a really high level, like among the league leader, I mean, nation leaders in, in blocks, uh, per game, and uh, I think he ended up averaging around 13 and 6, but um, like the the two weeks, three weeks leading up to his season-ending injury, he was he was operating at a high level, clearly Memphis's best player, and was yep. clearly going to be Memphis's uh, returning best player, and, and and presumed best player, you know, in general, depending on what Diedrich Lawson is, the McDonald's All-American who uh, will be a freshman. Um you know, I, I've talked about this so much, I don't know what I've actually said, but I guess I've said nothing on the podcast, so I can, <laughs> I can, you know, um, I, I talked to the dad, Mark Nichols, Austin's father, who I've known for a long time, about the possibility of transferring back in March, like, l like literally while Memphis' season was still going on. Um, so I know that this has been something the family has been thinking about for a while, and frankly, I, I thought that it had sort of been removed from the table. Uh, you know, in April, early May, like, you know, because most transfers, if they're going to happen, that's that's when they happen. Um, there's a little bit of a communication breakdown here because I'm told that Austin's father talked to Josh Pastner back in March and uh, apparently told Josh a lot of the same things he had told me at the time, which is like, we're, listen, we're concerned about um, the roster. We're concerned about Austin's development. We're concerned about his NBA future because which is basically the biggest criticism on Passner is developing and advancing talent. He doesn't like, have a competent guard. Right, right. get him the ball. Right. Well, that, that yeah, but like when you combine okay, so the guard situation, then you combine that with um, the history, uh, recent history, or I guess complete history of Josh Passner putting players in the NBA, like. Um, you know, Adonis Thomas went undrafted. Will Barton was a second-round draft pick. Joe Jackson didn't make it. Shaq Goodwin's still in school. Like, there's uh, there's not a, a great track record of getting guys to the next level or having guys, um, you know, reach whatever their perceived potential was coming out of high school. So, like, that's in the back of Austin Nichols' head because I looked it up the other day. He was ranked 22nd in the country, class of 2013, in 247 sports composite rankings, which means, um, obviously, there were 21 guys ahead of him. Of those 21, 14 are already out of college. Ten of them have already been first-round draft picks. And then ranked below him were uh, Jordan Mickey, uh, Zach Levine, and Terry Rozier, right? So there's three other guys who are already in the NBA. So you, you, you look up and you go, okay, like literally half the guys that were ranked ahead of me in high school are already in the NBA. What happened? And then you look at the mantra. It's not like he's a projected lottery pick right now. Like he he could still turn into a first round draft pick. I wouldn't rule anything out, but you go look at anybody's 2016 mock draft right now and he ain't really on it anywhere. I mean Sam, you follow this stuff better than anybody. Like you tell me, is Austin Nichols on your radar at all? Yeah, he'll be like a I had him in the nineties 
Well, well that's year. my point. <laughs> right. So, yeah, well, no, like how, given who left, though, he'll be probably in my second round. Of okay, round right. So, like all of this so, stuff yeah. is is in their head. Combine that, frankly, with the you know one of the things people hit the family with when Austin was getting ready to make this decision was like, um, hey, listen, Memphis is your home. We get it, but like, do you fit in at Memphis? And I don't mean just simply a black white thing. I mean like you know Memphis is the campus is in the city. Um, it is mostly city kids, and Austin is a is a white kid from the suburbs. And again, I don't mean just a black white thing, but there was some questions about how he would fit in with you know with his with his future teammates. And uh, the truth is, I'm told like he didn't fit in very well, and also didn't have a great relationship with Pastor, and so on and so forth. So all these things were concerns that at least make you consider transferring. So like Mark Nichols expressed a lot of this stuff, I'm told, to Josh Pastor back in March. Well, then Josh immediately goes to Austin. And I think that Austin is a guy who, and I'm a little bit psychoanalyzing here, but um, who like just would rather avoid confrontation or difficult conversations. Like he just doesn't want to get involved in them. We all know people like that in our own lives, right? Like it could be your girlfriend, it could be your boyfriend, it could be your wife, husband, whomever. And you sort of say, hey, listen, I feel like something's wrong, but like, you know, you haven't really said anything. Is everything okay? And they go, oh yeah, everything's okay. And they just say everything's okay. And then six months later, you're, you you split up and they, they you go, what? whoa, what happened? And you said everything was okay, but like things were clearly not. I think Austin's a little bit like that. So Josh goes to Austin and says, hey, I just talked to your dad. And he said, A, B, C, and D and E, F, G and whatever. And Austin just sort of said, oh, no, everything's fine, coach. Don't worry about it. But in the back of his mind, like, things weren't fine. And, you know, then there's some personal life stuff that may or may not have contributed. But long story short, he, you know, ultimately decided in late June that he wanted to leave the program. And even if that meant sitting out a year, which it does, means sitting out a year, they're just ready for a new environment, uh, you know, for a new coach, um, for a new entire coaching staff, because you got to remember, like the staff that was in place at Memphis that recruited uh, Austin, like that's not really there anymore. Ike Collins no longer uh, a part of the staff. I think Jason Gardner at the time was up at night. He's not there anymore. Uh, Damon was involved in the recruitment of Austin, Damon Stoudemire, and he's back at Memphis, but he hasn't been around Austin for the past couple of years. And so there's just a whole bunch of stuff that contributed to it. And now, you know, he's on the market. He is. Um, going to not be allowed to transfer within the American Athletic Conference to anybody on you know the next Memphis schedule for the two you know two years and Virginia Purdue Iowa and Tennessee uh, the explanation for Virginia Purdue and uh, or not Purdue Providence Virginia Providence and Iowa is that they're playing in a I don't know the Emerald Coast Classic you know, in a couple of years. Um, this is a super weak excuse, by the way, and I don't buy I hate it. You know, let me tell you why. I, here's what, I don't buy it either. Like, I think, I think Memphis wanted to put Virginia on the restricted list, mm-hmm. and this is the reason they came up with to do it, other than just say they're on the restricted list. Because um, Virginia recruited Austin out of high school. Um, they, you know, they were one of the finalists. But here's the other thing. I don't think people under, uh, are, are aware of this connection. John Paul Jones Arena, like the beautiful new arena, relatively new arena at Virginia. John Paul Jones um, is from Memphis. His son is Paul Tudor Jones, who is a billionaire, like B, with a B, uh, from Memphis. They, they're the ones that help finance that. Um, Paul Tudor Jones is the one who helped finance that arena, and he put his father's name on it. And so there is a strong Virginia presence Um you know, in the city of Memphis, as weird as that might sound. And I, I think that Memphis believed, 
let me be very careful with the way I say this. Uh, Ida have no idea if Virginia or or somebody in you know working on behalf of Virginia tampered, quote tampered. But I believe that there are people at Memphis who believe that somebody connected to Virginia might have tampered. And I thought the arena was named after the Zeppelin basin. I know, right? <laughs> I think a lot of people probably uh, more people probably under, would make that connection than they would. Uh, to the to Paul Tudor Jones, who again is from Memphis, but he's from Memphis and went to Virginia and became, became a billionaire. Like there's a 60 Minutes like episode about Paul Tudor Jones. You could look it up if you want to. Um, but there's a connection. There's a Memphis and Virginia connection. So what I think is Memphis said, "Listen, we don't want the kid going to Virginia, but we don't want to just come out and say you can't go to Virginia." So hey, we're playing this tournament two years against him. We'll throw Providence and Iowa in there with them, and that'll be our rationalization, as weak as it might be. Um, beyond that. Um, they also tried to include Tennessee on the list as a future opponent, but Tennessee quickly said, we're not a future opponent. <laughs> we don't have a game scheduled with you and you your coach yeah. and your coach has even publicly said he's not going to play us. So then they just had to basically say, well, you're on it just because, but, um, you know, so anyway, those are the schools that are, are restricted for, for Austin. His twin sister, by the way, is a student at Tennessee. So Memphis, you know, I think Austin might've gone to Tennessee and, or, or, or not and, or obviously, but, or Virginia, um, if allowed, uh, but now he's basically, um, you know, uh, considering everybody outside of those I just mentioned, and everybody in the country is interested. Like I, I, I couldn't even put a number on how many staffs have reached out to me because they know I have a relationship with the family, and because they know where I live that I might have some insight into you know the kind of kid he is and what happened and so on and so forth. But but basically everybody has tried to get involved. Um, I can't tell you where Austin Nichols is going to end up, um, but I will say that even though you know Duke is interested, or at least certainly was interested, you know, a week ago, and um, you know Kansas is interested in you know I know Bill Self called people in Memphis from Korea, um, you know, <laughs> uh, like like really like hey just wrapped up this game trying to figure out what's going on, uh, all the uh, you know Kentucky's in all the big boys are interested. I think. From Austin's perspective and the family's perspective, um, I'd be surprised, and this is just, nobody's told me this, but this is just sort of what I gathered from having a lot of different conversations. I'd be surprised if he picks a Duke or a Kansas or a Kentucky maybe, because I think they're concerned. Like, they can't mess this up. And they're worried that if you go to Duke, then they bring in Harry Giles. What ha- You sit out a year, and now you've got a one-and-done superstar you know, play in the same position as you. And I think they're a little concerned about any program that could um, reasonably be expected to bring in a one-and-done star in the front court. And so that's yeah. obviously like a Kentucky, like a Kansas, uh, uh, like a Duke. But, you know, regardless of where he ends up, um, it's, it's I don't want to say um, the end of everything for Josh, and, you know, but, but it's a devastating development. I mean, you guys know as well as I do how much pressure he's under in the city, and to have another Memphis kid, you know, leave the program before he either entered the NBA draft or exhausted his eligibility is, um, um, it's starting to, you know, uh, to paint a picture of a pretty um, unfortunate pattern. I mean, keep in mind, Joe Jackson wanted to transfer multiple times, just never did because he couldn't pull the trigger on it. But Tart Black left, Nick King left, and now. Um, you get Austin Nichols leaving. And so, you know, that's at least three examples. And keep in mind, I'm not even talking about the Karan Iverson, Pookie Pals. Like, there's a ton of transfers in the Memphis program. But the more disturbing one from the Memphis perspective is um, 
I mean, these are kids, Nick King, Tark, Black, Austin Nichols, all of whom at one point in their lives put on a hat and said, it has, they're Memphis kids who always dreamed of playing at Memphis. And then they get to Memphis and they go, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. Like, that's a problem, right? That's uh, yeah, it's a major problem for him. Yeah, it's, listen, the Lawson factor is going to be huge for Passner this upcoming season. We'll probably end up talking about Memphis plenty uh, just by way of Gary's home base. But, um uh, because this seems like a do-or-die year for Passner, uh, you've got to somehow manage to have a lot of success. I, I, I don't know. And I'm talking like easily make the tournament and win at least a game. Easily make it and win at least a game. And maybe that's not even enough. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Nickel, I think the Nichols thing really, it, it almost becomes a breaking point here because it's the latest transfer. It's the most meaningful transfer. Obviously, you mentioned because of the, not only the talent, but you know where he's from and, and what that means. And when you add up the lack of NBA guys, the program development and the player development in the program has not been what you want it to be. Um, overall winning has not been there in a league that's now easier than when it, the league he entered when he started coaching. Just getting to a point here where he's got to have a huge year or, I, I mean, I guess anything's possible. He could be coaching Memphis a year from now, but I, I will say if, if he does not make the tournament or if he does not uh, win a game in the tournament, I just don't see how he's possibly there next year. And I know that he, he's... He's what? Some he's somewhat expensive to buy out. Yeah, I mean it's that's like not, that's not the same kind of situation like with Crean at Indiana, right? Oh, it's 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 similar. I mean, I think like after next year, it's still like seven million, eight million. I mean, it's a lot of money. Like, um, I would say this: if he has a bad year, and I'm not sure they're going to have a bad year. I mean, you go um, Ricky Tyrant mm. and Kedron Johnson. I'm just saying there's there is some still talent <laughs> in the program. I, I don't love the roster, and I certainly don't love it without Austin Nichols, but. You go Ricky Tarrant, Kedron Johnson, whatever on the wing, Burrell or um, even K.J. Lawson, Diedrich Lawson and Shaq Goodwin in the front court. Like they're, they, they could be good enough. But if he has a bad year, the only way he's back at Memphis the following season is if they just simply cannot come up with the money. That like, would be. Is, is that, that's a 20 win team at best, right? I don't think at best. I mean, you got to, like, who scares you in the American? Connecticut's going to be good. SMU's going to be good. But outside of that, like, Cincinnati, I guess, but they're yeah. pro- they they should be a top four team in that league, even without Austin Nichols. At yeah, least- but Memphis fans listening, or they should be a top four team every year in that league, no matter what the roster. Yeah. Right. I I will tell you, um, you know, from Josh's perspective, he you got to just be banging your head against the wall because, like, if you just bottom line the resume, like if you can like erase the Calipari era and bottom line, he's averaged twenty five wins a year for six it's not, years. I, that's the thing, though. I know. I, it's not exactly. I mean, following. He's gone to four NCAA tournaments in six years and won tw- an average 25 wins and, like, is very much on the hot seat. It is kind of – when you look at it from that perspective, it is kind of crazy. On the other hand, he's paid $2.65 million a year uh, and has never made a Sweet 16. So, like, you know, you can argue it either way. Sure. I will say this. I think I would take them to pick fifth or sixth before wow. I would take them to finish in the top four. Well, congratulations, Sam. You just fired Josh Pastner. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. Tulsa brings everyone back. No, you're right. Three-win team. Like, uh, Temple's going to be okay. They have Jalen Bond coming back. They have uh, Echinoya coming back. Like, they're, this is a pretty good league yeah. next year. Yeah. So, it's, 
it's going to be rough. It, well, <laughs> I think it's going to be hard for them. Well, I'll pass that along to my radio audience a little later on this afternoon. Uh, so I was talking to Sam earlier today, and he wanted me to make sure all of you know it is going to be, quote, rough. Uh, before we get out of here, um, Kansas won, is it called the World University Games? I can't even keep track of all these events. Uh, it's basically Kansas. It's Kansas coached by Bill Self with Nick Moore in USA jerseys. Norlander, does it mean anything? Like, uh, can you, it, I, it can't hurt, can it? I guess it can't hurt. Um, I mean, you know, if Kansas goes on to be Kansas again and, you know, we get to February and they've only got five losses, I'm sure someone will write a story about how this meant something. <laughs> and, and like, maybe legitimately it does. Um, but honestly, I, I will say from a general ugly American perspective, when you've got, you know, Jason Tatum and Harry Giles winning amateur gold medals three consecutive years representing the United States, and you've got Kansas going over and winning the World University Games, something that, honestly, 95% of college basketball fans probably don't even realize exists. Uh, I don't know. One, its impact is, is minimal. I'm sure itself and that team feels great. Uh, Nick Moore probably feels a little weird. <laughs> like That's a very bizarre thing, but given uh, Kansas's roster and having non-Americans and other injuries, they've just plucked Nick Moore to play for a couple random weeks with them and help them win a, a gold medal so good for them um it was a little weird not to see bill self down at the peach jam but he'll uh, he'll get to resume his schedule here shortly for the rest of july um and kansas you know i'm not i'm never going to pick against them in the big 12 until bill self proves he cannot win a regular season title in that league Right, and that league's going to be fun. I mean, you got you know Iowa State. Obviously, they lose Fred, but you know they they bring in Steve Prohm, who has coached a top ten team. Like you know that gets lost a little bit. Like um, you know he he he's ha he's handled a top ten team before. You know, so like you know who knows what the transition will be like. It's an interesting challenge, but he, um, yeah, you got Shaka down at Texas. You've got Oklahoma, who's going to be you know should be should be terrific. Like I yeah, the league's going to be fun. Baylor should be fine. You know, like um. But I'm I'm with you. Like I, I don't even care. Like even if like Perry Ellis tears his ACL tomorrow, I'm just picking Kansas. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just I just want to see basically in this. You know, I know we're going to wrap it up here, but Sam might have an opinion. Just like apparently uh, Frank Mason was just awesome. Right. Uh, but can can Frank Mason be awesome for the entirety of a college basketball season, please? Because he shows flashes. That would be the one thing I guess if we wanted to kind of critique Kansas a little bit. If if you're telling me that Frank Mason consistently can can flirt with being an All-American type player. Uh, then it gets yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Mason's going to flirt with being an All-American. He, all he doesn't have to be that. Just yeah, that he doesn't have to be that. He, was, he doesn't I, have to be, but... I think he can be what he was last year. Like, Frank Mason was one of the more underrated players in America last year, I thought. Like, he was a 12-4-4 guy that really gets after it and defends and leads them on the break and gets some easy points. Like, he was... Frank Mason was really good last year, and he was actually really consistent, too, surprisingly, once the Big 12 season hit. He had, like, a double-digit stretch of double-digit games, uh, scoring-wise. So I think Mason's going to be fine. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see what they do with the front court again, just because Cech Diallo is a guy that would profile well with Bill Self, uh, just because he's a high-motor guy that's going to defend, he's going to rebound, he's going to run the floor. But... I don't know what Bill Self will do with Czech Diallo because now, Bill Self now becoming does a repeat of that with freshmen. Things you just said also identify Cliff Alexander, and that was just a bizarre yep. situation that blew up. But exactly, so, so I don't know who else. Uh, you know, I, so we're talking about Frank Mason here. And when's the last time Kansas had an awesome lead guard? That's the thing. This tournament, uh, Nick Moore. 
I know, right? But like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, go, you go back to like Sharon Collins and Mario Chalmer and those guys, but like, you really almost got to go back that far, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you do. It's been yeah. that's the one random thing with Kansas, and and I guess it's been to self's credit overall in a weird way that because he's kind of lacked like a truly like elite level point guard, uh, he the program is still you know made a Final Four or two and consistently mm. won the Big Twelve like still been able to do that even without it if you imagine like if self was able to get even at half the rate the kind of point guard that calipari gets like he probably has at least two ncaa titles and and another one or two final four trips yeah like i mean it, do we count tyshawn taylor no i don't think he was great <laughs> i mean I, I thought he was i, I, was, I mean so. if he was great he was pretty good his senior year but yeah like before that he was okay um yeah he was okay like, I don't think he was great. Nobody would, I don't think anybody would call him great. I'm talking about like when you've had a, an all American caliber lead guard, it's been a long time. That's weird, isn't it? I don't even know what you could attribute that to other than just coincidence, right? It's, it's definitely a weird thing that I have noticed in the past couple of years, and you're kind of waiting for it to, uh, to kind of turn better for him. But I don't know. We'll see. It hasn't it's a little me. bit weird. Yeah. It, it's a little bit weird, especially because of how he features his lead guards. Right. Like there's like Nadir Tharp was putting up like massive numbers for a while. <laughs> right. Like Nadir Tharp is not good at basketball. So like I, I don't. Uh, it's very surprising to me that he doesn't get lead guards. Uh, it, it, he gets more wings than lead guards whenever his offense doesn't feature wings at all. Really, like we saw what happened with Andrew Wiggins. There, he kind of had moments where he was in the background and that's crazy considering what Andrew Wiggins is. All right. So yeah, I think that he should get, uh, I think that hopefully he'll get lead guard soon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I might, I might try to figure out exactly. I'll, I'll go now. Now I'm, because it's in my head, I'll spend the next 30 minutes going back and looking at all the Kansas lead guards for the past decade and try to see if there's anything there. All right. Remember you can subscribe to the Ion college basketball podcast on iTunes. That is the quickest way. Uh, to get your hands on the uh, latest condition. So make sure to do that, and then uh, either way, we will talk again uh, at some point, I assume. <laughs> Until then, uh, take care. Bye.